Well, I want to introduce myself because I realize some of us we may not have met before, but my name is Justin Conway. I have the privilege of being our worship pastor here at church. I'm very, very grateful, very grateful for that. And I find it a bit uh, ironic, uh, maybe a coincidence, that in all the times that pastor has given me the privilege of preaching, I have yet to preach about worship as the worship pastor. It's odd, maybe maybe that's just me, I don't know. But I, I was trying to think about, you know, why that was so. And sometimes I think in our lives that the things that we care about the deepest, that we're most closely connected to, are actually some of the hardest things to talk about. I could drone on and on about hobbies and about sports and about all these things, but when something feels like it's a fiber of your being, when something feels like it's so deeply attached to you, it can feel hard to find just the right words to help you understand how special it is. But I'm going to try this morning. You see, I started to think about what it was that I would like to even share with you if I ever preached on worship. And I started at the foundation, at the very beginning of what might help you this morning. I thought about, well, what about the different words of worship? What, it, what about what it even means? Maybe I can define it. Maybe I could tell you throughout Scripture all the different Hebrew words and the different ways that we could come before God, but... Then I got to thinking, you know, I know it's a snow day and all, but I don't have time to preach a whole series today on that. So then my mind went to the expression of worship, right? You know, I'm filled with joy. I love to worship God. Here at the Rock Church, we have exciting, passionate, spirit-filled, spirit-led worship. We jump and we dance and we sing. So I thought, okay, all right, that's my lane. That's the lane I'm going to cruise in today. I'm going to talk about the joy and expression of worship. I'm a sports fan. I like to go to concerts. I like to be expressive. Maybe I can help you with that. Over? Yes, God. Yes. <laughs> I shouldn't go with that. All right. <laughs> Jeez. Echo, bravo. <laughs> Yes, he's doing something weird. Yes, I know. Um, but even before the radio signaled to me, I went a different direction. So it wasn't about the words of worship. It wasn't even about the expression of worship. So I did what any worship pastor would do, and I asked ChatGPT what I should do. No. I got on to ChatGPT, the AI site. Now, some of you older folks are like, what did he just say? Did he speak the original Greek this morning? No, I did not. I got on to ChatGPT just to see what a computer would say is important about worship. And this is actually what it said. Let's look at it. Worship is more than just... No, it didn't do that. <laughs> worship is more than just a song we sing or a prayer we utter. It's a profound expression of our love and surrender to the creator of the universe. I was simultaneously impressed and very convicted that a computer could define worship greater than many of us might be able to. That was so good, I almost considered ChatGPT to write my sermon for me. But I'm not a youth pastor, so I won't do that. I won't do that. 
I've actually got content. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. God help us this morning. Just playing. Um, but even before ChatGPT told me what it thought worship was, I felt God stirring in my heart this idea about talking with you today. And I'm almost a wreck this morning with how strong worship was. How could you go from joking to crying? I don't know. It's a gift. But I want to talk with you today about the surrender of worship. You see, as Pastor was telling us, we've been in a series about putting the first things first for God. On week number one, it talked about prayer and fasting and giving. We elaborated more on the tithe last week. And I think worship is right up there with those top button things that are so important to be among the first in our heart to give to God. But I started thinking and thinking about surrender is actually in all of those things. You see, to come before God in prayer, I must surrender my time. I must surrender my will to His being done in my life. To come before God in the place of fasting, I must first surrender something else I'd rather be doing. Whether that's social media or TV or food or something you struggle with, whatever, I must first surrender that to draw near to Him. When I think about my giving, I must first surrender something that you know, is so closely attached to my heart and even frustrates me and even wears on me when I hear it talked about or whatever. I must first wrestle that and surrender it to God. And then in the place of worship, there's so much to experience the true blessing of what God wants to give us in the place of worship. I must first surrender to Him. So we're going to talk about that this morning. I think that this is really closely attached to a word that I feel like God has given me for my life this year. And that word is the word trust. You see... I feel like I trust God, but there's plenty of nights I lay in bed worrying that shows me that I probably don't as much. And I don't want you to think that your worship pastor for the last six years doesn't trust God, but that I do struggle sometimes when something happens, when, you know, we have big life situations, when I'm believing something for my family or for my home, I need to lean into trusting him and I'm already starting to do it. I feel this year there's something on this whole month so far where I feel, okay, God, I'm not going to try to be in as much control over things. I trust and I surrender. Take worship. Make it something greater than I ever even could in my own strength or in my own power. Take it. Do something with it. I'm not going to rehearse this as much. I'm not going to think about this as much or try to make this as perfect. I just want to lean in to seeing what you can do when I give you some of this stuff, when I trust you with some of this stuff. And so I tried to exercise that a little bit this week. I haven't looked at my notes once yet, Jeremiah. Um, so I tried to exercise this just a little bit. And I would typically, you know, I looked up once. I got to make sure my computer's still on. Um, I looked it up once about what the average pastor does to message prep. And I believe it's in a sweet spot of somewhere between 15 to 20 hours every week they will spend on their message. Thank you, Pastor, for all. I, I believe you do just as much or more than that. 
And that's on top of being boss and leader and friend and pastor and hospital visits and flowers and calls and all the things. And so with me, I do this so sporadically three or four times a year that every single time I approach one of these, it's, I spend more like 30 hours prepping because I just want it all to be so strong. And I just want to tell you everything I think I know about everything. But this week, I tried it a different way. You see, normally I might barricade my off in my office from about midday Thursday to about midday Saturday. And that's where Amber will tell you to find me is I'll be here at any hour of the night message prepping and practicing and speaking and finding chat GPT examples and all these things trying to do. But this week I tried to lean in to trusting that Holy Spirit was going to show up even if not everything I said was perfect or hilarious or whatever. You know what? I trusted God so much that Friday night I decided to message prep in an interesting way. You see, I'm in my Sunday best this morning, but I was in my Friday best in this picture because I was at SmackDown, son. Look at that guy behind me. He's like the number one contender or something. He's trying to take my belt. No, 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 no. I'm going to cut a promo on him right now, but... Jessica took me to SmackDown. Thank you, Jessica. And we had a blast. And I had a lot to pray for that night. Because if you've never been to a wrestling show, that's an interesting crowd. But I definitely had a lot of ammunition to pray about. But I'm here to tell you this morning, in the place of trust and surrender, it can feel very scary. There's a lot of freedom in it. And we're going to dive into some stuff. Will you tell me, the title of my sermon today on the screens is going to be, I Surrender all. Will you say that with me? I surrender all. There's something that I want you to remember when you enter places of worship in your life. And I want to tell you that worship is our whole life. It's not just 20 or 30 minutes that we get to gather together here. But I want to hit some of that with you today because that's the chance that I get to see you, that I get to be with you. But there's something that I want to tell you when you enter the place of worship in your life, and that's this. When we withhold nothing from God, He withholds nothing from us. When we withhold nothing from God, He withholds nothing from us. You see, I think that there's certain parts of our heart and our life that we like to keep locked away hoping that maybe the omniscient, omnipresent God that knows and sees all, knows us to our inmost being, who knows the numbers of hair, hair on our heads, which isn't hard for some of us, but he knows us so deeply and he knitted us so perfectly, we would like to still think that there are things that we can hide from him. We like to still think that there are things that if I, well, if I stay locked up about this, my relationship with my kids, uh, that addiction that binds me up. If I could stay locked up in some of the selfish ways, I still think about money and I still think about serving and I still think about my time. If I could just lock up a few things, maybe God won't even realize that they're problems. But when we begin to understand that when we withhold nothing from God, He withholds nothing from us. We can't begin to give Him things to bless if we keep them locked away. Can I be honest with you this morning? A lot of times, our worship experience together doesn't look like withholding nothing from God. 
It doesn't look like surrender. And I would know because I stand in approximately this same spot every weekend. And I get to look out at us. And I get to see us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I get to see us. And there are some of you that that go chasing after what God has for you. It's full body. It's full heart. You're jumping. You're crying. You're screaming. You're on your knees. You're just heart abandoned, full on worshiping. But there's others of you. Something is binding us up and locking us away from tapping into how God wants to bless us. I brought an example up here. This is called the chair of truth. And when I sit in or stand around the chair of truth, you can't get mad at me for what I say. I didn't make up the rules. Here, I'll test it out. Amber, I bought a really expensive belt on Friday night. You can't get mad? I'm in the chair of truth. Okay. Here's a lot of what I see a lot on Sunday mornings. All right, church, let's worship together. Come on, stand up on your feet. We're going to have a great day in the house of God. This again. I don't even like that song. Does it have to be so loud? Do they have to spend a lot on revamping it? It's fine. Don't they know that there's like 17 tripping hazards right there? That's fine. They're good. All right, church, lift your hands up. We got the joy of the Lord. We're full of gratitude this morning. Come on, let's thank God for everything that he's done for us. All right, church, we're here to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So sing Silent Night. Silent. You don't even know the words to Silent Night. (laughs) Are you kidding me? (laughs) Sorry, that's still Christmas. I need to forgive that. That's no, just play it. I'm just playing. There's a lot of that. And you know, I don't take it personal. It's not about me, it's about God. But what breaks my heart is understanding that I was once there in that place of worship. I'm going to tell you about it here in just a little bit, but I was once there. I was once balled up and chained up, and I know the litany of reasons why that was. And so when I see you like that, it just breaks my heart because I know where you're at. But I want to tell you something today, that there's something that God wants to do when you just begin to surrender. And it might be such a small move and such a small step, but if you feel locked away, and maybe you'll say, well, Pastor Justin, you don't get it. You don't know my background. I grew up in this church. We didn't worship like that. Uh, or you don't get, I, or I've had a hard week. Do you know what I'm going through? Do you know what, what I'm facing right now? Or pa- Pastor Justin, you don't get it. I just met Jesus. I, you know, I got some time or what? No, this isn't about any of those excuses, really. This is about revelation. This is about understanding that when we meet Jesus, really, and he radically changes our lives, that we have really no more excuses. We don't. And really, the fact that it feels like we have to continue to 
urge and pull and urge and pull. It, it is the journey. I know it's going to take forever, but mm, it's like, come on. If I begin to understand everything that he's done for me, I don't have any more excuses to stay chained up and bound up. Jesus had something to say about this. They were asking him what he thought the greatest commandment was. And he answered this in Matthew 22. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. If I could elaborate with you for just a moment. To love God with all my heart means surrendering things to Him that prevent me from doing so. To love God with all my heart means surrendering things to Him that might prevent me from doing so. So you see God, you know, Jesus right there, He says, love the Lord your God with all. Now, I know we talk sometimes about the 10%, and it's hard enough to even get up to the 10% in our giving and living and serving and loving. It's hard enough to get up to that standard. But when we begin to approach anywhere close to all, anywhere close to surrender, anywhere close to trust, he wants to open up the windows of heaven and let blessing pour out over our church, over your lives. If you begin to even inch anywhere close to all, you see the reason why we express with our lips in worship is sometimes we might not even believe the words we're saying. Like you take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. I'm wrestling with that this morning, God, but I'm still going to Proclaim it. Some of these are prayers that we pray when we don't even have the words to pray. You're doing a new thing, God. I don't even have the words to pray, but you're doing something brand new in my life. We extend our hands up in the place of worship because it says, I surrender. It says, Lord, I'm out here in the ocean drowning and I need you. I need my Savior. And what it also does is it postures something. Open hands, open heart, open mind. Lord, I want to love you more. I want to serve you more. I want to give to you more. I want to worship you more. When I begin to approach anywhere close to that, I give him something to bless. Amen. Let's have this on the screens. Worshiping God. Incomplete surrender brings blessing. I've got a few more minutes with you today. And I want to communicate this ultimate idea to you through one of the most challengingly beautiful scriptures and passages in the Bible. And for a long time, when I was a younger Christian, I didn't really like this passage of scripture. Kind of like broccoli. And I, it was strange looking to me. Um, I just assumed it tasted horrible. It smelled kind of weird when you cooked it. But one day, I tried it with cheese, and I liked it a lot. <laughs> I liked it a lot now. But now I don't even need the cheese. I'm a broccoli connoisseur now. But this scripture was very similar to me because it kind of hits you out of nowhere. And it kind of uh, says things about God that are challenging that you may not even want to think are true or real. Maybe, maybe it even calls into question his character to an extent. It's just kind of weird. And that story is from Genesis 22 where God asks Abraham 
to sacrifice Isaac. Ooh, he's going to talk about that. No, kind of an odd story on the surface. Does God like child sacrifice? Like, why? Does that seem necessary? Why jump through all the hoops? But when I began to sprinkle the cheese on this passage, and I begin to understand all of the beautiful things it was saying about Abraham, about God, all of the different ways it was leading us to Jesus Christ. It's now not just a beautiful passage. It's probably one of my favorite passages of Scripture. So let's dive into this, and let me give you just 10 seconds of background. Abraham and Sarah had been praying for children for a long time. They tried multiple ways, sometimes outside of the will of God. They were older in their age. They would laugh at God when he might promise them something. And finally, God blesses through Sarah, the son Isaac. And God will often tell Abraham, this is your son, your only son. Even though Abraham had several with other women. And um, that's another, that's a marriage sermon that we'll get into. But he wanted to bless God through He wanted to bless Abraham through Isaac. There was going to be a lot of blessing. But here, we actually get this very weird turn of events where this blessing that they had prayed for for so long and this promise that God had made in their lives, now he turns around rather abruptly and says, go and kill it. A little bit weird. But I love what Brandon Lake has to say, not just about this scripture, but really about worship. He says this, If you want to see the miraculous, you have to get comfortable with the ridiculous. So with that in mind, let's read this sometimes ridiculous story to see the miraculous movement of God. I'm going to read through Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 18. Now I'm going to stop from time to time to elaborate just a little bit, but hang on tight. We're going somewhere beautiful together today. Let's start with this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Let's stop right there. I just want to point out this distinction. There's a difference between tested and tempted. You see, your father in heaven will never tempt you to evil. That's not in his nature. That's not what he does. If you feel something in your life this morning dragging you to something evil, it's not a test of God. That's the enemy. All right? But when God does test us, it is always to produce something greater in us. It's always for our good. You see, this testing of Abraham was something that was God was using to call out obedience, to see if he really trusted in him. It wasn't necessarily to produce in him to have faith, but to reveal in him whether or not he had faith. Let's read it on. Yes, he replied, here I am. God tells him, take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, And go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Let's pause right there. Did you realize, I don't know, any of you that have read through the book of Genesis and the whole Bible, this is the first time in Scripture that the word love is used. Asking you to murder your child, and I'm going to drop love on you for the first time. Ridiculous. 
miraculous. Also, we see that this word love isn't just dropped in there on us, but it's dropped in there with the relationship between a father and a son and sacrifice. He tells him to go to this land of Moriah, which is not a fictional place. It's not a place we can't find anymore. Because we actually see in 2 Chronicles that God instructed the temple to be built on that same stretch of land. So today, as you flick on the news and you see Israel and Palestine and you see the Temple Mount and you see uh, Jewish properties and Christian things and Muslim things and you see this property, this whole stretch of land that is so sought after and fought over and so valuable to so many people, that is the place where God, at basically the beginning of time, is instructing him to go for a sacrifice of something he loves so dearly. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Let's keep reading. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So God has told Abraham to take his son, the one and only son, whom he loves so much. And Abraham reacts very early in the morning. He puts his faith and trust. It doesn't say he drug his feet It doesn't say he complained. It doesn't say he pondered about it for quite a while. It says very early in the morning, they up and exercised their faith. And he tells his servants that me and the boy are going to go worship and we're coming back. Do we think Abraham is lying in that moment? I believe what Abraham is saying is that worship to God is surrender. Whether God stays his hand, whether God allows him to go through with it and murder his child, he believes that God's so good that he's going to keep his promise over Isaac. So whether that's raising him up, whether that's protecting him, whether that's intervening, whatever the case may be, they're actually going to assume the best of God and not the worst of God. They say, we're coming back. God put something challenging on my heart, but you know what? We're going to go to that place, and we're going to worship, and we're coming right back. First time the word love is used in Scripture, and the first time the word worship is used in Scripture. And it's all about sacrifice, and it's all about surrender. The God of a thousand steps before us, a thousand years before us, is using this not as a weird way to to test and torture. He's using this to teach. Let's keep reading. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and we have the wood, but where is the sheep for the offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. In some passages of your Bible or versions of your Bible, it may say he will provide the lamb. 
the Lamb of God that will intervene. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that very moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. Catch this. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thick. So he took the ram and he sacrificed it instead as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. Some of you might know it as Jehovah Jireh. And to this day, people will still use that name. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Abraham did not look around and name that place after what he did. He named it after what God did. He didn't say, oh, this is the place of great trust. This is the great, the place of my greatest faith. He also didn't say, this is the place of agony. This is the place of torture. This is the place of pain. No, he used it to honor God. He saw God show up and he said, on this place, on this stretch of land, on this property, Jehovah Jireh will provide a lamb. He will provide for us what we need. Even on this place, your son, your only son, whom you love so much, on this stretch of area that God is using to provide for us. Mm. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld anything, even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. We see this come to pass. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to David to Jesus and in John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life this morning i want to tell you if i could summarize this whole message with you. It's in these four words. Trust, surrender, worship, and blessing. You see, Abraham is a great character in that story, but he's not infallible. He's not perfect. He is not without sin. He is not with having, without having done bad things. He's great. He's full of trust and faith in that story. But God is the hero of the story. 
God is the hero of the story that brought Jesus Christ. God is the ultimate. You might feel like you have something to sacrifice. You might feel like you have something to surrender. But God's sacrifice is always and will always be greater. And that gives us something this morning to give, to give up, to lift up joy for, to lift up gratitude for, to surrender something for. Because He always moves in a greater way. Amen. Come on, somebody. I want to sit with you because it's 12.15. And we're nearing the end of stuff. But you might say, well, church ends at 12.30. Well, that's right. I want to open up the end of this service to something that we don't do a lot unless it's First Wednesday prayer. But before I do that, I want to tell you a story. I'm in the chair of truth, okay, so you can't, you can't get mad at me. There's a hymn that was on my heart this whole week about this sermon, and it's called, I Surrender All. And if you remember it, it goes something like, I surrender all, and I surrender all, all. To Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. The other night I walked the hallways of our church, just singing that, just believing that. And the Lord led me to, to want to tell you this story. There was a season of my life where I was very far from God. And this was the extent of my worship. And it's not because maybe I didn't know, I think maybe he might exist or not exist or whatever. Or my girlfriend at the time dragged me to church even though she knew I was in grad school and I was tired and I was busy. But this was the extent of it. The day that I first like even did this, it was like, Whoa, so cool. But at the same time, what was going on inside of me was also very bound up. And I don't know if it was pride. I don't know if it was doubt. I don't know if it was fear. I don't know if I was just rejecting and pushing away the call of God on my life. I don't know if it was addiction. I don't know what it was. But it's something that kept me locked up for a long time. And that's why I know when I see you out there, I know that that could be you too. And finally, in this season of my life, it culminated in a whirlwind tornado of destruction of who I used to be. And I went home and I was going through a lot. And I hadn't surrendered to Jesus. I was close, I was on the precipice but I was very just bound up. And I came to this fork in a road, literally. I looked at my nightstand where set this bottle of pills and I said, it would be so easy to just take those right now and it'd just be done with it. It wouldn't hurt so bad, stuff would be over. But I said, 
God, I can't continue to do this. I can't continue to live this way. Because I'm either going to wind up in jail or I'm either going to wind up dead. I'm either going to wind up somewhere that's not what you really want for me. So I gave my heart to him that night. Like fully, full surrender. And that doesn't mean that everything was all of a sudden perfect. Or that everything, I never was tempted again. Or I never went through hard stuff again. But you know what? When we went to church again, I signed up for the men's conference. I'm going to go. That was in Johnson City at a beautiful church. And I began slowly in worship. Thank, thank you. <laughs> I need you. I got baptized a month later. You didn't have to convince me of much because I knew what Jesus saved me from. I knew what Jesus took me from. You didn't have to say, ah, let me twist your arm to serve. We really need a greeter. No. You didn't have to say, oh, maybe you should start to, to give. That was already on my heart. It took me a little bit to build up to the 10%, but definitely what wasn't in my heart was trying to disobey God. It was how can I continue to grow and honor Him. When baptism came up, you didn't have to convince me to do it. I wanted to be in the water. And even if it meant standing in front of hundreds of people that probably judged me and probably mocked me and probably laughed at me, I wasn't doing it for them. I was doing it for God. So I ask you this morning, we're going to release the rest of this service. But maybe you've got something that you want to surrender. Maybe you got something that keeps you bound up from fully living this life that is all in on loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Maybe you're walking up that mountain right now and you got that wood and you got that stuff and you're just trusting that God is going to show up in that place where he promised he's going to provide for your life. We're going to have an old-fashioned altar call. Yeah. And I hope I see just about everybody come up because maybe you're in a good place with Jesus, but somebody you're praying for is not. And you're standing in for them to worship and to pray. Maybe you've been battling stuff in your health. Maybe you're praying for people who are battling stuff in their health. And maybe you just want to come fall on your knees and receive prayer and worship the Lord and finally begin to surrender Him. Maybe you don't want to go down that old path anymore, but you want to accept something new He has promised over you. Let's stand up together. And this is your moment. The whole rest of this service is meant for you to pray and worship. Let's do that together right now. Amen, amen, amen. You know, the, we're gonna wrap up service. So I know you got children and Pizza Hut is only open for so much longer. But that joke worked about 15 years ago. I don't even know if Pizza Hut's still open anymore. But the scary part about a moment like this, when you're thinking about it, praying about it, is there's a lingering what if. What if people don't respond? What if they don't come? What if, what if, what if, what if? But let that be a lesson to us even this morning, leaning into the mystery. 
Even when you don't know what the outcome might be, there's never going to be anything wrong with leaning into the mystery of God to trust He is going to show up. He will meet us there. I believe this morning that there's a lot of moments of surrender and trust in God that's happening at this altar, in your seats, watching online. And this is a starting point. Like I see these boys, I love these boys. It's a starting point. It doesn't mean you go home and that relationship is fixed just like that. Or that thing you struggled with it isn't just knocking at the door still. But it's a starting point. And it says, this is my move, God, to surrender. It's your move to keep your promise that you're going to release blessing in my life. That's what's happening this morning. So let's pray all across this room. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you just made a decision to surrender, we don't do this to keep a log. We don't do this to anything else other than pray with you and seek you out to equip you with stuff to help you as you begin your relationship with Jesus. If you just made a moment to surrender your life with Him, a decision to do that, would you just lift your hand in this place? Would you just lift your hand all around? Hands at the altar, hands at the altar, hands throughout the auditorium, hands everywhere, hands everywhere, hands everywhere. Come on. Hands everywhere. If you made a moment, if you made a decision to sacrifice and surrender anything to God this morning, would you lift your hand? There's hands everywhere. Come on, we surrender, Lord. You see our hands. You see our hearts. God, we're giving up to you what would prevent us from drawing near to you. Open the windows of heaven over our lives. Let's all pray this prayer together this morning. Lord Jesus, I surrender. I open up my heart. I open up my life to your love, to your Lordship. I need you. I want you. I come to the cross where you have paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start. It's a new beginning. As I surrender to you, help me become the person that you created me to be. In Jesus' name, can we praise God together this morning?